0: When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That question of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of our gospel passage today should shake each and every one of us. That question of whether he'd actually find faith on earth is one, of course, that's particular as well, not just general to the whole world, but particular to each one of us. There's a lot of ways we could begin to answer our Lord, but who of us is really ready to stand before the just judge? It's only because of his mercy that we could even consider that. But one way we could point and say, yes, there is faith on earth, is by holding up the saints. The saints give us hope. We're not supposed to just put them on a pedestal, right? And like keep them in like, you know, their images in like a China cabinet or something where they're a little bit distant, a little bit divided. We're not supposed to revere the saints in a way that somehow makes it seem like what they have attained was just on their own merit. It was all because of the love of God, and we're not supposed to think that where they are, we cannot be. The gift of the saints, and the reason we cherish them so, and we talk about them so much, and we name our churches after them, is to inspire us to become saints. And this weekend, we're celebrating the feast day of our saint, our patron saint, St. John Paul II. Now, some of you were here when Archbishop Nauman came and gave us the name. But it wasn't just like the title now that we have to change on our letterhead. It is the patron who's watching after us. And what a patron we have. So many of us remember St. John Paul II really well. Uh, I was born after he became Pope, and he's been Pope uh, most of my life. And we hold him up not simply because he accomplished great things. We hold him up because he was faithful. Faithful. And when our Lord asks if he will find faith on earth, if we're going to be able to say yes, we're going to have to accept that gift of faith we received at our baptism every day and allow it to blossom and bear good fruit. And that's what the saints have done. They have shown us that, yes, there can be faith on earth, and there still is faith on earth. And John Paul II loved to canonize saints, to remind the world that this is what we're all called to. He also is responsible for the catechism of the Catholic Church that over and over again calls us to holiness. And that that's a universal call that each and every person you have ever met is called to holiness of life, to become a saint. And he reminded us every time he canonized a saint. Now, he had the opportunity to do so because he was pope for a long time, but he canonized over 480 saints. 480. Now, just think about that. Who among us is ready to name 480 people our children should be able to follow without hesitation? Who among us would be able to say, here are 480 role models? St. John Paul II took a big risk because every time a canonization happens, the church is making an infallible declaration that this person is in heaven. The evidence points to that thanks be to God, we don't also have a list of who's in hell. Our Lord is so good, though, and St. John Paul II knew that every time he made a saint, well, it's God who makes saints. He just gets to declare, here's what God has done. That in a sense, he got to reconsecrate the world, to point out to the world the true meaning of life. That as we're reminded by St. Paul, not today, we'll get there actually next week, I believe. That Jesus wants the world reconciled to Himself through the gospel. And each and every saint is the gospel lived out. That's what we forget. This isn't rocket science. This isn't something you have to go away and study for years and years and years to be able to understand. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not even that you need a degree in theology, that's the study of the doctrine of what we believe. But the gospel is an invitation to believe. And that's open to each and every one of us. And each saint shows us that it's possible. St. John Paul II showed us that it was possible even if you come from a family with some deep wounds. His mother died when he was a little child. And that's where we get the great example of him when he was a a boy going to the image of Our Lady and saying to our blessed mother Mary, Jesus' mom, you have to be my mother now. But he had to live very simply. He saw this witness of his father, of faithfulness, and we, do we not need that today? A witness of faithful fathers throughout the world? In fact, just two weeks ago, I believe, the cause of canonization to declare his parents saints was just begun in their home diocese in Poland. Families matter. And St. John Paul II is an example of that. He had a deep love of marriage and family life. In fact, as Pope, he kind of shocked the world when he started speaking about marriage and family life and reflecting on the passages of Scripture from Genesis and Matthew especially. And we collected those and called them his theology of the body. And it's so good, but he had his love of Jesus Christ honed over many years of suffering and prayer. He suffered under Nazi occupation in Poland. He went to seminary in secret. He tried to keep his Polish culture alive as an actor. As someone who has the heart of a poet. And we actually have the poetry, some of it, of St. John Paul II. He loved the outdoors. He was an athlete, a mountain climber. He loved interacting in ideas. He was a philosopher and a theologian. And he had a heart for the poor. In fact, that's why after he became Pope... He didn't wait for people to come to him. He was the most traveled pope in our history. Now, he had, again, a lot of time to do that. But it still remains the fact he traveled more than anyone else. And from worldly standards, it's kind of ridiculous because he's unprecedented. Think about this. There's never been another person in human history that was seen in person by as many people as St. John Paul II when you consider all of his trips and all the millions of people who showed up, there is no other one person in human history that's been seen by so many people. Now, in our day and age, now that we have social media and we can just connect with someone on the other side of the world so quickly and they can give us their opinion on the status of our life at any given moment, that might not seem that impressive. And believe me, St. John Paul II wouldn't have wanted that to be attention on himself. It was only, he was only able to do that because he filled the chair of St. Peter the office of Peter. And whenever you look to Peter, you get to see Jesus. That's how it all works with every single saint. We don't stop at them. They're only special because they belong to Jesus Christ. They're part of his body, the church. And that's what happens. You look at John Paul, you see Jesus. His life makes no sense apart from Jesus Christ. And isn't that the point? Who of us can honestly say, my life makes no sense apart from Jesus Christ when so many days we try so hard to make sense of life without Christ. That's the witness we have in our patron. Now I never got to see St. John Paul II in person. I had seminarians a few years ahead of me that actually got to meet him and whenever you go to their rectories you get to see the picture of them shaking hands with JP too. And And that's, you know, we're not supposed to be jealous but there's a little jealousy there. But I did get a not meet, but get to see Pope Francis and Pope Benedict. And I was actually with a group at the first uh, public mass as Pope with Pope Francis. And that's actually why we celebrate the feast of St. John Paul II on October 22nd. That's not the day he died. Most saints' feast days are the day they die, which makes a lot of sense. Will the Son of Man find faith on earth? If he finds faith at the moment of your death, then it's not a tragedy when you die, it's your birthday into heaven thanks be to God that we get to celebrate the feast days of saints on the day they die because that's such a powerful powerful statement to the world that our goal is eternal life and Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life to stay united to him means we have hope not just for now but for eternity but the reason we celebrate St. John Paul II's feast day on October 22nd is because that's the date of his first public mass as pope Now, at Pope Francis' first public Mass as Pope, everybody started chanting, Papa Francesco, Papa Francesco, Papa Francesco, Pope Francis, Pope Francis, Pope Francis. And he said, no, no, no. Not Francis, Francis, Francis. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he's the one who held up St. John Paul II as a model because he canonized St. John Paul II. He even said St. John Paul II had a personal influence on him it was when St. John Paul II was pope that Pope Francis picked back up the devotion of the rosary, that meditation of the gospel, because that's what the rosary is, is a meditation on the gospel. And that meant so much to him. Well, it was at Pope John Paul II's first public mass as pope on October twenty second, 1978, that he repeated the words of Jesus Christ, Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Open wide the doors to Christ. From the beginning of his pontificate, St. John Paul II reminded the world that we have the choice whether to be closed off or whether to be open. And that openness has a purpose to receive and share Jesus Christ. He's the great evangelical pope, for he was a missionary pope who went to where the people are. And he called the church to a new evangelization. Now, when our parish was founded, Archbishop Nauman told me He wanted us to focus on evangelization. What does that mean? Well, it means that we proclaim the same gospel and get to follow the same gospel that we've been doing for 2,000 years. But the way St. John Paul II put it is we need new ardor, right? A new fire in the belly. New expressions, new methods that are not new in the sense that it's like some novelty, that we dismiss the truth of the gospel, but that recognize the circumstances of the people right now And this week we're reminded just how much we need that. i got to quit reading these studies about the church. Well, I really don't. We need to face up to the the hurtful truth. A couple months ago we had that study about the belief in real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and how that's down. This week another study came out, and this is shameful, that for the first time in American history we have a generation that is majority non-practicing, non-practicing of a faith. And what was crazy is I fit in that generation, barely. Like, I come in right on the edge. They said if you were born between 1981 and 1996, you're referred to as a millennial, which for better or worse, now you have a millennial pastor based on that study. And millennials now are the first generation in the U.S. history that don't practice a faith, majority-wise. And it's not just a generational thing. Each and every one of us knows someone who's now been affected by a post-Christian society. What does that mean? That means that most of our neighbors have heard the gospel proclaimed, have heard of Jesus Christ. We just don't follow him. Now, we shouldn't be totally surprised because that happened with Jesus Christ himself. Not everybody he met followed him. Even one of his closest disciples, an apostle, Judas, decided to turn his back on Jesus. However, that doesn't mean that fire in the belly that we're supposed to have gets to be put out. Jesus is calling us to embrace him completely. And I know that this morning, there are people in our very own families and our own friends that we wish were here with us, that we wish were following Jesus Christ throughout their day, that would just turn a little bit to our Lord and crack their hearts just a little bit in prayer because we know the flood of mercy that could come in and the fire that Jesus Christ could reignite. And that's a pain that we all share. And yes, I'm grateful that I once heard it put that all the empty seats at church are filled by the angels and saints. So thanks be to God. We always have a full church. But that question of Jesus Christ, when the Son of Man returns, will we have faith on will he find faith on earth? That matters. That matters. And it's not enough that we can point to someone we knew who had faith. It's great that we have the saints, but am I a saint? It's great that grandma prayed a lot. But what does her witness matter if it hasn't changed me? These are the challenges all of us have to wrestle with, and it's so precious. But here's the beauty. Our Lord is so good, and he doesn't want you to give up. And St. John Paul II throughout his life would have had so many reasons to give up But he was willing to do whatever it took. I just was with a priest last night who shared that he used to caddy for Billy Graham. Now, he's a a little bit older than I am. And he said, you know, it was funny because in his, his family, he wasn't allowed to listen to Billy Graham growing up. But he could caddy for him. He said, but you know what was funny about Billy Graham is Billy Graham never said, you know, you, you have to become uh, his, his particular denomination. He just wanted you to turn to Jesus Christ. Here's what's crazy. Archbishop Carl Wojtyla, when he was elected and took the name St. John Paul II, had Billy Graham preaching up a little storm back in his cathedral in, in Krakow. How crazy is that? That he knew he wanted the gospel so proclaimed that he was willing to do that. Now he took a lot of criticism, I'm sure. But he also knew that that would reach someone that needed it. Right now there's someone in your life who needs you to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. No matter what the challenge. No matter what the occupation is in your country. No matter, like if the Nazis that John Paul II had to endure, no matter if it was communism. And that's why I'm wearing this vestment today. Because our Holy Father's motto was totus tuus. And I used to do the summer youth program and the name totus tuus in our diocese, it's still out there. Every bishop gets to have an Episcopal motto. St. John Paul II took totus tuus because it means totally yours. Totally yours, Jesus, through Mary. It's actually totally yours, Mary. And I know... That can be a difficulty for so many. How does our blessed mother work in? Does she get in the way of Jesus? And not at all. That'd be like saying that, you know, your own mother gets in the way of your father and in terms of your own relationship, which in our case, maybe, but not with God. And our Lord loves us so much that he even shares his own mother. But Mexico was the first international visit, I think, of Pope John Paul II. And Archbishop Nauman shared that Cardinal Regali, who had been the Archbishop of St. Louis, had been in contact with the Archbishop Cardinal of Mexico City after that visit. And St. John Paul II told the Archbishop of Mexico City that Mexico was very, very special to him. And the Archbishop said, well, Holy Father, you say that about every country. (laughs) And he said, well, yes, but it really is. One because the visit to Mexico City, since that went well and the church and the Mexican government have not always been on good terms, that allowed the visit to Poland. It helped out that visit to actually happen. And we know what eventually happened. The very simple Polish Pope was one of the reasons the Berlin Wall fell. But he also said, it's Our Lady, Our Lady of Guadalupe. that after she appeared to St. Juan Diego, there was a new Pentecost. Over and over and over and over and over again in Mexico. And he gave her the title, St. John Paul II did, the star of the new evangelization. So here's where it meets the ground. If you know someone that you love, who is struggling and hurting and not turning to Jesus Christ, do not lose hope. Follow the proper star. Mary is the North Star that points to Jesus. If you go to her, she's going to take you to Christ. She's always going to take you to Christ. And Jesus Christ is everything. We must not lose hope. We must not be afraid. We must open wide the doors to Christ. St. John Paul II, pray for us.